So happy, <clears throat> so happy to sit with all of you this evening and feel the, the gift of your presence. And I realize in that, that spirit that Andrea spoke about of our interdependence, uh, I realize I would not be here if it was not for you and, uh, and that uh, we as Thich Nhat Hanh says we enter our. And she, Andrea's beautiful passage from the man who gave up money um, uh, was really the same wavelength that I was on this evening because um, I was thinking that this evening would be something about how none of us can help being the way that we are. And what do I mean by that? As my friend Wes Nisker says, you're not your fault. <laughs> but what that really points to is that every element of who we are, who we have come to be, again that word yata buta, how things have come to be, things as they are, every element of how each of us came to be who we are that unique individual that each of us is, that unique expression of life, every element of that is made up of uh, what we might call non-personal influences. That in fact, each of us, if we were to look into the, the source of everything about it, everything about us, we would find that we that not one of us has a true beginning. That in fact our beginning is from beginningless time. Our beginning is without beginning. That we are we are the fruit of everything that has ever happened. Each of us has been formed and we can formed in time like the like the grains of sand on the, on the riverbanks or at the beach, that each of us has, have been forged into a unique expression of life. And in understanding that we have been formed by all these circumstances, to lay claim, to take blame, to think of ourselves as existing independently alone apart from that is utter delusion. And it is this utter delusion that tends to give rise to the, ten, to the very strong tendency in us for shame, for self-blame, for, for uh, taking, for believing that we, are, uh, that, it's, that we are our fault. When in fact there is, there is not one element within us that we can ultimately find that exists independently apart from all that has come together. So even though we are individual, so uniquely individual, Andrea, as she was giving her Donna talk, she is just so utterly Andrea. And each person here is utterly themselves. But even at Andrea's root, she is, her whole nature, that, that unique expression is ultimately without self. It is, it is what we might call deathless. Selfless, deathless is the same thing. And what informed me in thinking about this tonight 
was a wonderful passage that I've used in my mind and uh, used in Dharma talks over many, many years since I was first exposed to it. It was the teachings of Nagarjuna. Uh, Nagarjuna, or some people pronounce his name Nagarjuna, is considered the founder of Mahayana Buddhism. And he wrote a beautiful book that I highly recommend. It's, very, it's a very deep practice manual. But one of the passages in his book just stuck with me, and it just it rattles through my mind really quite regularly, and it goes like this. You are not the same, nor are you different from that which you depend. You are not the same nor different from that which you depend. You are neither severed from nor forever fused with it. This is the deathless teaching of Buddhas who care for the world. So seeing through this illusion of independence and separateness reveals to each of us, if we are open to that, if we widen our lens wide, if we widen our view wide enough, it reveals to us that we are so deeply interconnected to all things and all beings and all circumstances that we don't truly uh, live as separately as we imagine. As the wonderful Tibetan master Kalu Rinpoche put it, you live in illusion and the appearance of things, the way things appear, because they appear very objective and separate. He says you live in illusion and that appearance of things. So from a Proximity of our usual ob- observation, which is qu- seeing things quite from a distance, not, very, not really intimate and close up. From a distance, everything looks very solid. You know, I'm here, you're there, the, the pillars are here, the, everything has a name and it seems quite discreet and solid. But if you were to put everything here under a microscope, this is where science has merged with, with Dharma. You put every one of us or anything under a microscope and you would, not, you would not ultimately find any independent self-existence to anything. You would find, in fact, if you raise the power strong enough, you would find mostly space. And so he says, so, the, so Kala Rinpoche says, you live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality and you are that reality. So it's not saying, so, well, I'll keep going. You are that reality, and when you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. But being nothing, you are everything. So when I say, when he says you are nothing, he doesn't mean you don't exist. But you don't exist as independently as you imagine. Being nothing that is really separate, you are everything. That is all. And as Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj put it, love tells me I'm everything. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Between these two, my life flows. So why is this important to know that we live in illusion and the appearance of things? Why is it important to know that you... Uh, that you are not the same, nor are you different from that which you depend. Because you've been busy thinking that you are separate. 
You've been busy building, as, we, as I like to call it, the, uh, building the, having, creating this house that ego builds. You built a house of identity, and we, build, we naturally do that. It's part of our developmental process. But part of that developmental process goes, goes unrecognized as a, as a kind of partial truth, as a kind of, uh, I, as a story about ourselves. So, for example, last week I had the, I think I spoke about anger. I don't, I can't remember a lot of it, but I think I shared with you the story about my, my uh, confrontation that I had with the security agent at the Regina International Airport in Saskatchewan last year. And I think I shared the story because I was on my way there last weekend. And I spent the last week after, on, I was here Tuesday night, I went on Wednesday. Wednesday to Sunday I was up in the, in the winter wonderland, the frozen tundra, the, the beautiful prairies of Saskatchewan uh, leading retreat. So I happened to, and just to recount the story for many people who weren't there, I, the previous trip, or a couple, two, two trips before, I had gone to Regina and I had I was on my way out of town. They, I was told that by the agent down, down in the lower level of the airport there that, that my flight was actually leaving 50 minutes earlier than, the, than I had scheduled on my ticket, and that I better rush upstairs so that I can make my flight. And when I got to the top of the stairs, there was a huge line of people waiting to go through security, which made it look like there was no way I was going to make it. So I negotiated with each person in line to let me go ahead, and they all agreed, and they were very gracious. Canadians are so dear. They are so dear, by and large. <laughs> but I met, uh, but, I, but the security man saw me go through this process and saw the, the angst that I was carrying about making my flight, and he said, no, you can't go through. And I given that I had built my house of self on the idea that I could uh, get what I wanted and that I built it around what I wanted to happen and I built it around how people should treat other people, I became instantaneously furious with this person for keeping me from going through. And so... In that very in that instant vignette, I created a sense of me that was literally crumbling, in the face of of having it uh, uh, showing me that I wasn't who uh, things weren't as I thought they were. I wasn't who I thought I was, and I immediately created the security agent as demon number one, who I was going to let know that that they were uh, worthless, whatever. And I, under my breath, unfortunately to that person's, that person could see the way my lips were moving and that fierce stare on my face uh, heard every word. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a horrible interaction. I felt terrible afterwards, and I, but I finally got through and I made my flight and the agents downstairs were wrong. 
And so I went through this vignette of the four noble truths in real time. Such intense pain and, and uncertainty. And the cause of it is I wanted things to be other than the way they are, the second noble truth. And being with that incredible turmoil, it all faded away. And then the fourth noble truth that because I was practicing mindfulness, there was, uh, there was, uh, I was cultivating the path. So that was all good. I went through that. I learned something. And so this year, I went back to the scene of the crime. Just Sunday afternoon, I get dropped off at the airport. No time considerations. Go through, go up the stairs, not much of a line. So the conditions have changed. The conditions on which I depend have changed. And consequently, I didn't have to be anybody in particular. I didn't incarnate as the frustrated one, as the wanting one, as the angry one, which I can easily build this. I, whenever we get caught in an identity, we're sure that we are, we are separate and we're out against the world all by ourselves. And this is where we fall into delusion. So I didn't need any of that for that time. And, and in a way, my default is just to kind of relax into not being anybody when I don't, you know, when I don't get triggered, so to speak. When, when, so that's, that's good. And that's one of, the, one of the fruits of the Dharma is you don't, when you don't need to be anybody, you don't have to be. And most of the time, we don't have to be anybody. We can simply be ourselves, the unique expression of life, but we don't need to be busy thinking, you know, I have to have this, I have to have that, I need to be this, I need to, be, I need to get here, I need to... We don't need to carry that burden of that, that fragile house, because as soon as I take birth in any one of those identities, I am, I am living on a, in a house of, of complete insecurity. It's a house of, of quicksand. It's, 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 it reveals that things aren't, things aren't stable. Identities aren't stable. As, as Helen Keller put it, security is mostly superstition. It does not exist in nature nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. So if we could enter into situations without, the, without regard for uh, what I want to happen, it would be, we'd get along so much easier. So anyway, I'm, I've entered the situation the second time without having not getting triggered for a moment, and I go through security, and lo and behold, there's the same security guy. And he was, he didn't recognize me. He was as sweet as sugar. We cracked jokes with each other. And I realized he was not, I am not who I imagined myself to be, and he was not who I imagined him to be. And that I am not the same, nor am I different from all those conditions that shaped me for that time. I'm neither severed from all that, all that happened, nor am I forever stuck in the view that I had. This is the deathless teaching. We, this was a complete different manifestation. So any notion that you have, I am such and such, I am this way, I am that way, it is there is not one idea about yourself 
that is ultimately accurate and true. It may be momentarily, partially true, but for the most part, we are indescribable. We are, as we know, when we're quiet, no matter what kind of story we have built up about ourselves, you might think of what you, how you think of yourself most of the time. What is your cherished view of yourself? What is it that you think that makes you independent and separate from, from all things apart from the flow of life? What makes you feel insufficient? What makes you feel too little, too big, or measurable in any way? Think about that for a moment. And notice how you feel when you feel measurable. And then notice what it's like after your last thought of yourself has, that thought has vanished and before the next one comes. How do you feel? Where's the, where is the, uh, where is that one that's so separate from everything else? I can't, I've yet to find a dividing line between you and me when I'm not thinking, when I'm not constructing an identity. Now, in giving up, in surrendering, which is what happens when we practice dana, in, in humbling our identity views, our self-ideas, our ego trips, in humbling those through the practice of giving or the practice of, of being moment-to-moment to moment mindfully aware, when you're simply aware and you stop and just see things in their simplicity as they've come to be in this moment, where, what's it like for you? So when we stop, when we let go of our egos, do we disappear? Do we all of a sudden become annihilated, destroyed, explode into thin air? No. We become much more vividly, much more ourselves here, free for a moment of the self-consciousness that makes us feel tight and separate and pained and frustrated and insufficient and all that. It stops. It stops in any moment of simple, mindful attention, any moment of giving, any moment of kindness, any moment of, of being simply present. We stop the war. We stop the dividing. We stop building that world of illusion. And we connect at that moment. We connect with all things that have come together to make us who we are. And we see, at least for me, it's just so obvious if I both philosophically and energetically look beyond this small idea of myself, I see that this, you know, if I think of it philosophically, I think, okay, my mom and my dad, they happened to meet, I, it's a beautiful story, they met during World War II, and my dad was stationed in this little town, and he came into the big city, and 
my mom was working at my grandfather's little pawn shop, and he saw her across the counter, and in his mind he said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. And my, mo my mom said, looked over, she got a little nervous, said, that's the guy I'm going to marry. And, and then she, managed, she proceeded to treat him like she didn't care and <laughs> created that perfect little dynamic. And one thing led to another, and here I am. But you know that that and they may have been they may have been as I often think about it a mess. They weren't. They weren't. They were, they were pretty sane, pretty good people. But often the parents get together for all these neurotic reasons, and then they just by osmosis just throw it right into the kids. Now, do you, do you can you really believe that you live completely separate from all those influences? And then just think about how they came to be the way they are. They're their parents were a complete mess, completely oblivious, and then it goes on and on and on. There's no beginning to it. That's just the psychological side. Then there's the, the physical, all the elements that came together, earth, air, fire, water. It's just, is that personal? Nothing personal about it. And then all the influences of culture, of religion, of schooling, and all that media and the the consumer machine that needs to keep us greedy to keep going, all those non-personal influences. And then we have the ignorance to say, it's my fault that I'm a nutcase. It's not our fault. You are not your fault. So that's just on the philosophical side. But in that direct experience where the, the heart of the Dharma is to realize that non-separateness in a very immediate and intimate way through simple acts of giving, simple acts of kindness, or just being mindfully present. Where is the, where in that moment of mindfulness, where is your suffering? Where is the sufferer right now? As my teacher Punjaji says, you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. As the boulders of the past rest on your chest, these boulders of the, being caught up in the past views. Now, it's a wonderful thing to be able to think about the past, think about ourselves, and the, can think about how we construct an identity as the one who's come from the past, passing through the present, on the way to the future. That's a, it's a wonderful thing to orient ourselves in time and all that, but it really isn't the real deal. It's a story. It's a story about you. It isn't who you really are. Who you are is indescribable. And if you drop your thoughts about yourself for a moment, you'll see that you are just wide awake. You are pure, utter lucidity. You are actually, you don't have to do aware, you are aware. You can be aware. That's what you are at your root. That's what's, why it's called sometimes primordial awareness. Because it has no, it, it doesn't, if it's not constructed, it's not conditioned. It's, your own awareness, you could say, is deathless. The nature of your mind, I should say. Now, of course, the awareness that, uh, that the sense of being able to notice things, I'm here, I'm there, that all depends on your body and all these other death, these non-personal circumstances. But we're not, we're so far beyond our thoughts about ourselves. And I say this, why do I say this? Why am I talking about this? Because we beat ourselves up so badly. 
we all have this idea that we should be other than the way we are. And it's just a story about somebody that doesn't exist. It just isn't. So if you take these teachings to heart, you can then, you won't lose your individuality, you'll be more yourself. But you'll be more yourself without that, without the burden of the self-consciousness and the false views about yourself that play through your mind. You can just cut loose. Try it for a moment. Feel what you actually are instead of what your idea of yourself is. And you won't die. You'll be happy. You'll be peaceful. You'll actually feel safer allowing yourself to fall into the ground of being. You'll feel protected by awareness, protected by just the truth of that. And, uh, and you can, as we often pray, you can live with ease because your nature is ease when all is said and done. Your mental nature of your imagined self is, is the definition of dis-ease. It's always, always measuring, always not enough, always trying to get somewhere, compulsively trying to stand out and be special. God, if each of us knew how absolutely and utterly unique and special we were, we wouldn't have to give it another thought. And then we can only realize that in real time. We can't realize that by reflect, by thinking about ourselves. Just by expressing it. Just by letting the love flow from us. Anyway, I you think I've exhausted my, my words. So the, one of the cool things about seeing through this self-illusion, seeing beyond the stories of ourselves, is we clearly see the, beyond the stories in everyone else, and we see... We see that through the illusion of separateness, and so, that, so the illusion of self, we see through the illusion of other. So there's, we really start to feel we're in this together. And so we, this is where poetry like David Budbill, who I've shared many times here, where he says, his poem called Bugs in a Bowl, he says, Han Shan, the great and crazy, wonder-filled Chinese poet of a thousand years ago said, we're just like bugs in a bowl all day going around never leaving their bowl. I say that's right, every day climbing up the steep sides, sliding back, over and over again, around and around, up and back down. Sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in your hands, cry, moan, feel sorry for yourself, or look around. See your fellow bugs, walk around, say, hey, how you doing? Say, nice bowl. <laughs> so as Thich Nhat Hanh says, you and me, you are me and I am you. Isn't it obvious that we enter our, you cultivate the flower in yourself so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you, you support me. I am in this world to offer you peace. You are in this world to bring me joy. Just while we're on the Thich Nhat Hanh vein, I, I like this passage. When you, we look into a beautiful chrysanthemum, 
what do we have here tonight? No, chrysanthemums. We look, when we look into this beautiful chrysanthemum, we get the impression that this flower, flower is full of the cosmos. Everything in the cosmos is there in the flower, including the cloud, the sunshine, soil, minerals, time, and space, everything. It looks like the whole cosmos has come together to manifest the flower. That's you. The one contains the all. There is only one thing that is not there. That is a separate entity, a separate existence. The flower is full of the cosmos of everything else, but the flower is empty of a separate self. No separate self, that is the first meaning of emptiness. You cannot be by yourself. You have to interbe with the cosmos. And we are all in you. If you look deeply into yourself, you see all of us in you. This is the beginning of the contemplation of interbeing, focusing on the teaching of emptiness. Emptiness of self full of everything. So the natural fruit of seeing through the self-illusion is seeing through that illusion of other. And this is why the teachings eventually point to one obvious, total practice that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. And that is the cultivation and expression of loving-kindness. And in this spirit, from that point of wisdom, the Buddha gave probably the most famous sutra, one of the most famous sutras, teachings, called the Metta Sutta. And I'd like to read it tonight. Then uh, I'd like us, instead of, um, I think we can chant, we'll do some kind of Metta Sutra chant. But here's the words in English. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another, or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection that this is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, 
of ourselves. The pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires and dependency on sense desires, is not born again to this, into the cycle of suffering, the cycle of being caught in ignorance and the illusion of things. So we can end with a little chant, unless uh, maybe we have a few minutes for any comments that anybody might have about seeing through the self-illusion, about, about you are not your fault, about you are beautiful just as you are, or as my friend Surya Das says, you are beautiful. Any comments? Okay. We'll do this, we'll do this chant in the Pali call and response, and it's basically saying, by this practice in accord with the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, I honor my mother, my father, my teachers, and then again, it's all about may all beings be happy, and just spreading that loving kindness in all directions to all males, all females, and then the wish to be free from ill will and enmity. So it's a continuation of last week. It's all about love. It's all about opening that tight fist of frustration that makes that is born of our insecurity of trying to be somebody. And just relax. Okay. And call and response. Imaya Damanu. Imaya Damanu. Dama Patipatiya. Dama Patipatiya. Budam Pujami, Budam Pujami, Imaya Damanu, Dama Patipatiya, Damam Pujami, Imaya Damanu, Dama Patipatiya, Sangam Pujami, Imaya Damanu, Dama Patipatiya, Mata Pitunam Pujami, Mata Pitunam Pujami, Imaya Damanu. Dhamma Patipatiya Acharyanam Pujami Sabe Sata Sabe Panna Sabe Buhuta Sabe Pugala Sabe Atabawa Pariyapanna Sabaitiyo Sabe Purisa Sabe Arya Sabe Anarya Sabe Dehiwa 
sabe manusa. Sabe winipatika. Sabe winipatika. Awera hontu. Awera hontu. Apia paja hontu. Apia paja hontu. Aniga hontu. Sukiatanam. Pariharantu, Pariharantu, Dukamuchantu, Yatalada, Sampatito, Mahuigachantu, Kamasaka. Sabe sata, suki hontu. Together, sadhu three times. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So sadhu means well-spoken, well-done, well-done, excellent, excellent. So may the fruits of our practice, any blessings, any goodwill that has come from us dropping our sense of separateness for a little bit and connecting with one another, generating those wishes, those deep wishes that we have for ourselves that all beings be happy. From the fruits of this, may all beings be touched by loving kindness and may our practice be dedicated today and every day uh, to the welfare and benefit of all. May everybody be happy. May everybody be liberated. Thanks for your practice, as usual. Thanks for your generosity, and hope to see you next Tuesday, Thanksgiving week. And love to make if please uh, put the November thirtieth on your calendar, uh, half day nine to nine to one. It's beautiful, uh, beautiful time to practice on a Saturday morning. Anyway, thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.